0: Growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. He wants to
1: use our flesh against us, use our pride against us, use our ego against us, use our attraction to possessions. He wants to use those things against us.
0: We have a real spiritual enemy. His name is Satan, and he has a strategy for defeating us. So the question is, do we have a strategy for defeating him?
1: The enemy's strategy for defeating you, and in one word, it's you. The believer's strategy for the enemy's defeat, in one word, God.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we come to the end of the Alone series. We've spent about the last 15 weeks looking at men and women in the Bible who faced certain situations alone. Pastor Clay has been showing us from God's Word some of the keys to facing situations alone.
1: Part of the enemy's strategy is to paint a bad image of God, and he has done it very well.
0: One of the things Pastor Clay has mentioned throughout this series is that although we may at times feel like we are alone, the children of God are never really alone. Today we finish last week's message, Alone Against the Enemy. We're looking at the account of Satan's temptations of Jesus in the wilderness found in Matthew chapter 4. Last week we saw that the enemy has a strategy to defeat us. As Pastor Clay explained, it is a strategy he has employed many times throughout history. But when he tried it on Jesus, Satan found that he was no match for the Son of God. Today, Pastor Clay is going to show us, from Jesus' response to the devil's temptations, a strategy we can develop so that in the power of God, we too can be victorious against the enemy.
1: Is the kingdom of God the priority of my life? How you answer that question will go a long way to determining how ready you are for the attacks of the enemy.
0: As we talked about last week, we are conquerors because of Jesus' victory. Now, it's time to start living like one.
1: This is the last week of our series entitled Alone. I think I count about 15, uh, I think about 15 weeks that we have been in this series and we have been looking at various uh, characters from Scripture, various biblical characters. And we have been looking at um, situations that uh, that they faced in life alone. I was attracted to the idea of developing a series like this because... I'm pretty sure all of us can relate to that. And uh, maybe not every one of the biblical characters that we've looked at or their particular situation, but I would be willing to bet if you've been with us throughout this series that there's been one or two or, or hopefully even more than that particular biblical characters we've looked at, something that they face, and you're like, wow, that's just like this in my life or this situation in my life or that time this came into my life. How did they look at those situations what did they do and as we've seen sometimes they got it right and sometimes they didn't get it right kind of reminds me of uh, of me right sometimes we get it right sometimes we don't get it right tell tell you this the great thing about God and I always use this illustration I've used it for years trying to explain to people when they've struggled with with receiving God's forgiveness or uh, blowing it sometime in their life or something. The great thing about God is that every time we come to him, every single time we come to him, in genuine, just authentic, God, here I am, I I messed up or I blew it or I did this or whatever. You never find a God who says, talk to the hand. You've been, you've been, I don't even want to talk to you right now. You always find a God who, and I use this analogy of like a child. He picks us up and he dusts us off and he says, Okay, my child, now let's move forward. Let's go from here. We we struggle, right? I'll get to the sermon in a minute, but we we struggle. We're like, like five years down the road, we're like, Oh, why did I? And God's like, Come on. I've only got you here a little while. You're glory bound. You're only here for a little while. Well, why waste it looking back at mistakes or things you would have done differently or somehow you could have done this or I wish I had made that choice or that decision or I wish I hadn't made that choice or that decision. God's like, you can't change anything about that. This is what you have. You have this moment and you walk towards this moment and you see where that takes you and you walk in it with me and see what I'll do with your life. I could preach on that. I could just get going on that. But anyway, so... This is our last week in alone, and in honor of it being the very last week, just in honor of it being the very last week, Neil Salter came back to be with us for the last, last week of alone. Neil, it, Jessica, and, Jessica and the boys weren't able to come, but if you don't know Neil and Jessica, they, they live now in Pensacola, Florida, and I miss you guys, but uh, so glad you could be with us uh, today. What did I say? Did I say something funny? Uh, yeah, we and we prepared that just for you today. So you you look very nice in that. You felt pretty in that. So yes, the uh, the high school had a, uh, their a musical or drama or something here. I think this past weekend, and so uh, we're so grateful we get to share this facility with them, right? So we finish alone the series alone. We finish it by looking at at the best one, Jesus. Alone against the enemy. Alone against the enemy. The account is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. I mentioned last week it's also found in Luke chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Are there times in your life when you like just feel like the the devil is just coming up against you and wearing you out? Just like whopping you upside the head? I think that's a southern thing, whopping you upside the head. Every time. Every time we, we, we think we're going forward or we're moving probably and, and here it comes. Here comes these attacks. And we talked some about that last week. We'll get into it again this week. Matthew chapter 4. We looked at last week the enemy's strategy, and I'm, I'll talk about it some a little bit as we go. We talked about the enemy's strategy for defeating, for defeating you. And in one word, it's you. We talked about what that meant. So, let's talk about... Our strategy looks like this this morning. The believer's strategy for the enemy's defeat, in one word, God. God. So, as I said last week, we uh, looked at the enemy's strategy to defeat us. And it is us. He wants to use our flesh against us, use our pride against us, use our ego against us, use our... our, uh, ...attraction to possessions. He wants to use those things against us. And he has done so, I think we could all admit... Uh, ...he has done so very effectively. At times we feel like we're winning or we're having victory... ...but at other times it seems like it's, it's not going as well as it should. But he, he has this intentional strategy... ...and as I said last week, the strategy really hasn't changed much. It, it, it's been effective against, against, it was effective against Adam and Eve... ...and it's been effective down through generation after generation after generation... And it is a strategy that he attempts to use against Jesus. Obviously, he fails miserably at it, but it is, it, it, it is unquestionably a strategy that he is using. And so you and I need a strategy if we are going to defend ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. Fortunately for us, Jesus gives us a strategy. I want to kind of dive into it and look at it this morning. We're going to start uh, with this idea. We need, first off, we need a spiritual reality. And we're going to read the verses as we go today. But, but if, we're going to, if we're going to have this strategy, if we're going to win, if we're going to be victorious, if we're going to be conquerors, as we looked at last week, we need a strategy. And that strategy needs to begin with a spiritual reality. Let me read verses 1 through 4. Spiritual reality, y'all got that? Can y'all say spiritual reality? Say Spiritual reality needs to begin with spiritual Watch this. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he entered and said it is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God Jesus uh, at, this is the this is the early part is really this is the, he's embarking on his ministry about thirty years of age now he's getting ready to embark on his ministry and he is led into the wilderness now in our culture in, in the contemporary culture in which we live this word uh, tempt, uh, basically almost always means to attempt to persuade to do evil. That, when, we hear, when we hear the word tempt, we, we would almost automatically think, oh, to, to attempt to get somebody to do something wrong, do something evil. And certainly that is, without question, Satan's objective. To get Jesus to do something that is contrary to the will of the Father. To do something that is focused on himself and not on what God's designs and plans are. There's no question, and if he, done, if he had done that, if he had been successful at that, that would have been sin. That would have been evil. And so, without question, that is Satan's objective, to attempt to persuade Jesus to do something evil, something sinful, something against the will of God. But, in both uh, the Hebrew language and the Greek language, the word tempt uh, can also uh, just mean to test Or Prove and it is in that sense That the spirit of god leads the son of god out into the wilderness In other words, satan desires. We we know what his plan is. He desires to tempt for evil purposes God's uh, What he's trying to do and we know what satan is basically trying to to derail or destroy God's plan of redemption for mankind because Because, right, the the sacrifice has to be sinless, right? Jesus can't be almost sinless and die for our sins. He he has to be the sinless Son of God, the the spotless Lamb. And so Satan's uh, objective is to get Satan or get Jesus in some way to do something the Father wouldn't want him to do, thereby derailing or destroying the redemption plan. God, the Spirit, leads Jesus into the wilderness to, to basically prove That he was able to Bring redemption That he was the one that was going to be able to Overcome temptation and sin uh, And so do you understand it's, it's like what Joseph said to his brothers In Genesis chapter 50 After they sold him into slavery in Egypt You meant it for evil God meant it for good and that's exactly what we have here. So Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit. By the way, you do understand, I hope, that when it says Jesus is led by the Spirit, that doesn't mean like he's in a trance. He's like, oh, oh, oh Spirit's leading me. It's, I, I think sometimes people, when, when you read stuff like that, led by the Spirit, that sounds very foreign. What, what does that mean? It do, doesn't mean that he's like in a trance or something. It simply means that that Jesus' spiritual life was his reality. It was who he was. It, it it was it was the real deal. And so he was in position to to sense the Spirit's leadership and follow where the Spirit was leading him to do. Just it's the same as our lives, ladies and gentlemen, that, that if we are in if we put ourselves in position, the Spirit of God will lead us. He will lead us and sometimes we wish he would, would lead us a little more clearly. Sometimes we wish he would light up the path a little more so that, you know, three years down the road we can see where we'll be and all that stuff. But he, he, does, he does, he's not going to do that, I don't think, most times. But it's the same thing. It is being in position uh, to sense his presence and sense his his leadership to to do this or or engage this person or take on this responsibility or act this way towards our children or uh, treat our spouse this way. It's it's the Spirit's leadership. It doesn't mean he's in a uh, transfer. It just means he's in position to be led by the Spirit because his spiritual life is his reality. It's the real deal. It's not a game. It's not a game. Speaking of games, those of you who uh, play all of these video games, these war and battle and uh, online video games, and, and you know who you are. <laughs> and you know who you are. Now listen, I, the video games, I, I've, I've, honestly, I've never played a, uh, whatever some of those games are called, I've, I've never played them. Uh, I, I'm, I'm old school, man. I go back to Pong. You know, I'm like, boom, bonk, bonk, boom,. That was about the extent of my video. Yeah, try right. Rocky. Hit Rocky's. My he knows. He says, that's about the extent of my video. I just I just never got the bug for it. But but it's fine and good, and I'm sure it's fun, and I'm sure you'll have lots of fun with it, and you manage to consume numerous hours doing it, and, and I'm sure it's it's all I'm sure it's all good. But it is very different. I'm I'm sure not that I've experienced, but it is very different. From the person who has faced a real enemy with real bullets coming back at you. Been in real situations where you're going through a house and turning corners and looking. I, I, I can only imagine what that must be like. But I can tell you this. It's not a game. It's the real deal. Our, our spiritual reality has to be the real deal. It, it, it's, it's not a game. I can assure you it's not a game to your enemy. And when we, when we flippantly walk through uh, this, this Christianity, when, when, we, when we treat it like our Netflix membership or something, that we, we, whenever we need it, we'll, we'll pull it up, and if it's something we need to do or watch or, or whatever, that, that, that's, that's not what Jesus died for. He died for a spiritual reality, and there has to be a spiritual reality in our life. It has to be authentic, genuine true, real thing in my life. Um, the, I mentioned that this, this story is also found in Luke. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, the text says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit. In the He's full of the Holy Spirit. His, his, his spiritual life is a reality for his life. And it just comes out of his life. It's evident in his life. And, and, it's, and it's how his life is directed. It's how he has victory in his life. How does that? How does that? What is the spiritual reality? What does that mean? What What should it look like? I want to give you a, a few ideas of what that spiritual reality ought to contain. In it, first, it should ha- have a relationship. It, it is, in fact, it has to begin with a relationship, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, it It has to be this this real. Moment in my life where I enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, as we like to say around here at Cross Call Church, it's not about a religion; it's about a relationship. That there's more to it than than just being religious. I have found that the world there are billions of people in the world who are religious. Some of them incredibly. Some people, it's unbelievable the the things that they will do in the name of religion, good and bad but that's not what it is it's 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 not about religion it's about this relationship that a person has with the living god and that has to be the place that it starts it, it has to be this understanding mine this this is this is real this is this is actually what it's supposed to be my life's supposed to look like this is how i come to know God and, and have this promise of being glory bound and, and, and all this kind of stuff it begins with this relationship that I have with him how does that how does that happen in my life I'll give you I'll give you 3 A's. you have to you have to join AAA looks like this first you have to admit admit that you are a sinner you are I am we are sinners we're broken Every single one of us, God's word makes that clear over and over again. And not only do we have to admit that, because can, can I tell you this? In my years of talking with people, and I, I've, I, I usually, I don't think I've ever come across a person that said, oh, no, man, I'm perfect. I, I, I think almost everybody says, yeah, I, I know I've blown it. I know I've made mistakes. I know that. Now, sometimes they'll downplay it or they'll, or they'll, or they'll play it off of the good things that they've done. People want to do that. But... But most people are willing to, to admit, yeah, I know I probably have messed up. But you not only have to admit, you have to accept. You have to accept that, that there's only one way for you to be forgiven. And that is through Jesus Christ. That it is his sacrifice and his sacrifice alone that makes it possible for you to have this relationship. That you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't spend enough money or buy it. You can't do anything except accept this gift of redemption. And then, of course, the, you have to ask. You have to, and can I tell you this? That sometimes that can be the that can be the biggest stumbling block for a person, because it requires humility. It requires me humbling myself and and saying, God, I I need you, I need you in my life. And because sometimes people are like, oh, that's just a big crutch. To to humble myself, and say, God, I, I need you. I need you in my life. I I've made such a mess. I've blown it. I know I'm a sinner. God, I know that I, I understand now that I I, I can't. I can't get there my own. I can't be good enough. Jesus, would you come into my life and be the Lord of my life? Would you come in and redeem me and take away my sin and take over my life? Uh, Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. No one will say, well, you know, I, I did this or I did that or, oh, or well, yeah, well, I did that. And I, God said, no, there'll be, none, there'll be none of that. For we are his workmanship. This, this, this thing that he's doing in a person's life, it, it's what he's doing, not what I'm doing myself. That's the difference between religion and relationship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would... What? Walk in them. Do it. Live it out. It's this spiritual reality. And it begins with relationship. If you don't have that relationship, if you're not sure about that relationship, please, please, please don't leave here this morning without coming forward or talking to somebody or writing on a card or doing something saying, I'm not sure about this relationship. How, how, do I, how can I be sure? Relationship. That's, that's part of spiritual reality. Second component to spiritual reality, discipleship. 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 Now, the word discipleship, uh, when we hear it, we tend to almost always automatically think of it in a religious context, right? We, and, and, and usually a lot of times in Christianity, you know, oh, well, that has something to do with Jesus, to be a disciple. But in fact, a, a, a disciple can be uh, anybody who is following anyone or anything or any belief system or any... A disciple can be a lot of different things, right? For instance, Michael Martin... Is a disciple. No, he's a disciple of Jesus. Okay. That's my Michael Martin is a disciple of Jesus. But Michael Martin is a disciple of Krav Maga. How many of you ever heard of that? Wow. Really? What? What? I, I never had until Michael told me. Krav Maga is a. Uh, it's a fighting style. Developed by and for the is, Israelis. I like guess the Israeli army and all that kind of stuff. Michael is a disciple, a student of krav Maga, because he 's found that it is the most efficient and effective way to beat the mess out of somebody no 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 i 'm just kidding just kidding about to beat the mess out of somebody guy i 'm just kidding about that it, it actually it, it, it is, is it is a system of self defense and uh, and and is um, for for spiritual fitness i mean uh, physical fitness and all that kind of stuff right but he is a, 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 a student of that system because he believes in that system. And so he is a disciple of that system. Do you understand? Now, imagine if, uh, and Michael, how long have you been doing Krav Maga? Four and a half years. All right, four and a half years. So imagine if you went up to Michael uh, after the service today and, Michael said, and said, Michael, uh, tell me about uh, like the, the three most important uh, factors about Krav Maga. And he's like, "Well, I, um, well, I, I think, I think you're, you know, supposed to like defend yourself and um, yada. You I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, okay. Well, Michael, tell me, like, show me, like, uh, the most, the most uh, basic, like, what are, what are the most basic, uh, like, positions that you're supposed to be in for Krav Maga? And he's like, well, I, I think you're supposed to use your legs and somehow and your, your arms." Or in that su- do you understand? You're like, you, you, you're like, "Oh, okay, well, thanks, Michael." And then you're walking away going, That guy's not a disciple of Krav Maga. I don't think he can even spell it." I, I, I had to look it up. I couldn't you know. Do you understand? So, so, so what do people say when we say we're a disciple of Jesus Christ? can you understand there, there should be this this growth th- this this something happening in my life where where i am where i 'm maturing this maturation process where i am where i 'm growing in this thing where i 'm learning more where i 'm understanding more uh, i, I don 't have all the answers none of us do this side of heaven i don 't think but but just to th- there 's this process of of growth in our lives is there discipleship in your life now the uh, other individuals and and the body collectively has responsibility in that but the responsibility always starts first and foremost with me with the individual with you with where you are in this desire to grow in this relationship with Jesus Christ again the Apostle Paul in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 I think it is, said this regarding discipleship he says then when this when this maturing process is taking place in my life then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming that's that's a that's a pretty accurate description of the world in which you live ladies and gentlemen and you and he says when you when you grow up into Christ he said you'll find that you'll come to this place where you'll say whoa no no i know where that's going to take me i know what that i know what the intention of that commercial is or that Website is, or that word that was just... I know where that's going to take me. You understand? You'll begin to recognize it. You, you, you're not going to be infant tossed here and there, and like, well, this, and I heard that, and maybe that's right, and this and that. No, no, you grow up. Instead, you'll be speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Wow. Wow. Paul's saying there, not only do you as an individual grow, this discipleship takes place as the spiritual reality. Not only do you grow, but then the, the collective effect is the body, the local body, the collect, the church Grows into maturity. It grows in its understanding and 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 the way it handles situations and the way they treat each other and and all this kind of stuff. There's there's this, you see, that ought to be a part of the spiritual reality in your life. Yes, there has to be a relationship. This relationship, there has to be this new birth. I didn't mention it earlier, but in in John three, uh, this this guy named Nicodemus comes to Jesus and uh, he is a good guy, he's a religious guy, uh, but, but a good religious guy, not, not in the bad sense, the guys that came, went against Jesus. I mean, he was a good guy. Uh, he, he, was, he was kind, he was generous, and, and, and he even believed in Jesus. He said, well, we know you come from God, because nobody could do the stuff you didn't. So, so think about it. I mean, Nicodemus is, is religious, he's good, and he believes in Jesus. And Jesus looks right at him in John chapter 3, and he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. There has to be this new birth, this 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 relationship that begins in my life. And then that relationship matures, it grows. Any of you that have children or have, or have had children, what would you think if your baby, if your infant stayed an infant? You would say, something's wrong, something's, something's not. Now, some of you sentimentally would say, oh, I, I remember the days rocking my baby and that was so nice and, and they slept for 15 minutes or, you know something right you you look back and you remember it fondly that that type of situation but you would as a parent if you when you were in that moment you would say something's wrong something's wrong uh, 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 she's she's six months old but she's still got the weight of, of, of a of a weak old baby you understand discipleship all right third uh, aspect uh, which really is just a culmination of the other two it's ownership it's just ownership. It's just where I begin to own the spiritual reality of my life. It begins to become real in my life. No more talking about it. No more. There, there comes this place where this thing that we do. You know what I'm saying? This thing that we do. This Christian thing. This following Jesus relationship thing. There, there has to come this point where this thing that we talk about so much becomes something more than talk. There has to come a point where we own it. We say, no, this is who I am in Christ. This is what he's doing in my life. And this is what he desires for my life. And, and this is how he's going to empower me to accomplish this or go here or do that or whatever. There, there's, there's ownership in this. At some point, I begin to say, man, this is my reality. My spiritual life is my reality. Do You understand? It's not just a segment. It's not just a part of this. Where you know, it's not something I I slip into or put on on Sunday before I come in here. Because if it is, if, that, if you say you know what, that's that's really what it is for me. I just I do whatever I want Monday through Saturday, twenty four. I do whatever I want. I think about me. I live for me. I do whatever. But when I when I go down there to cross culture, ten thirty Sunday morning, I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my Jesus outfit and I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna sing the songs. I'm gonna let that guy stand up there and talk a while. You know, you know what I'm saying? You got to own it, folks. It comes to a place where you got to own it. Spiritual reality has to be a part of the strategy to defeat the enemy in our life. Okay. Second one. We need an accurate theology. We need a spiritual reality. We, we, need, a, we need an accurate theology. And you, and you know this. If you are here last week, you know why that's so important. I'm going to read verse uh, 5. Y'all Okay. All right, here, listen, now listen, the devil took him, uh, meaning Jesus, into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, you, uh, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God. To the test, Deuteronomy 6:16 6, is what he's quoting. You and I need an accurate theology. I talked about last week that one of part of the enemy's strategy is to, is to paint a, to paint a bad image or a blurred image or a marred image of God. That's what theology basically is what we think or, or know about God. So what the enemy wants to do is distort your view of God. He wants to distort your understanding of God or our culture's understanding of God. And he has done it very well. Come on. Right? right. He's done it very well. You have friends that are either they're like either oh man, I don't I don't want to I don't have to live my life by some old book. That's no fun. Or, or you've had somebody say, "Well, I, I, I'm looking forward to going to hell because that's where all my buddies are going to be. We're going to party like rock stars in hell." And will be this distorting this image of God and, and what God's purposes and plans and all this kind of stuff is. That's what it's what He does. Now, listen. If if you were to look at my life uh, as a pastor or as a husband or as a as a father, it wouldn't be hard to find uh, character flaws or 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 imperfections or mistakes in my life and the, and the same is true uh, for most of you but 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 what are you going to say about God what are you going to say about about a person who is merciful and righteous and just and loving and forgiving and giving who is all knowing and all powerful and who uses all of that for the good of all of us. What are you going to say about him? What are you going to say uh, that would be bad about that? You can't. He can't. And so he deceives. He distorts. He lies. He speaks into your life and he says, God, God's not going to be here for you. God's not in this situation. God's not gonna, God doesn't care about what you're going through. God doesn't love those people. God's not a generous God. God's not, not going to make provision for you. You see, if we don't have an accurate theology, an accurate picture of who God is, we are susceptible to his deception and lies that will come into life. And they are going to come into your life, I promise you. His strategy hasn't changed. He's going to try and distort your view of God. And our strategy has to be what Jesus' strategy is. Jesus looks right at him and he says, Now wait a minute, pointy-tailed dude. That is not who God is. God's purpose and motive is you're trying to tempt me, the Son of God, to test the, the the love of God the Father and His purposes and plans in all of this. And it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. See, it, it, you understand? It's an accurate theology. You need an accurate theology picture of who God is. And where do you find an accurate picture of who God is? Listen to me. You don't get it from Morgan Freeman. You don't don't get it from feeling. You don't even get it primarily from personal experience, although we certainly can experience God's presence and person working in our life. But you get it first and foremost and primarily from the Word of God. That's where you get the accurate picture of who God is and what God's intentions are and what God's love is and how God wants to work and, what, and the, all this stuff. You understand? You need an accurate theology. That's got to be part of your strategy. And, and if you don't find the time, I'm just, okay, this is, imagine this is me getting up on a soapbox. That's an old saying. But if you don't somehow find the time, you, forget about somebody else around you, about just you right now, if you don't find the time to open and get into the word of God and to study it and to meditate upon it and to and to to understand it. Now, listen to me. Not for answers. OK, that's what everybody wants. OK, where do I find the answer to to whether I can French kiss or not before I'm married? You know. Right. That, that. That. That's what. Where do I find the answer to this? Not. Not for answers. Yes, you get answers. Yes, you get understand. But not. But to get God, to know God, to understand God. Do you know what God says to you personally? God says this to you. Jeremiah uh, chapter twenty nine. You will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. All of your heart, and. Six minutes in a devotional before you go out the door is it's just not, not going to get it done. I, I'm just telling you. And without an accurate theology, you're, you're not going to be living like a conqueror. I just, I'll tell you that. Okay, here we go. Third uh, idea or, or part of it. I mean, you need a kingdom priority. Got to have a spiritual reality. It's got to be real. Right? Reli- relationship, discipleship, ownership. You got to have an accurate theology. We need a kingdom priority. Verse 8 says this real quickly. Again, the devil uh, took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Obviously, that's some sort of supernatural act or something. That's happening in some some way. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. It's really just a small little thing, Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, go, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And serve him only. Deuteronomy six thirteen. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. A kingdom priority, right? Satan's objective is clear. He he, he wants and I talked about this last week. He is attacking Jesus by trying to attract Jesus to the things of the world. All this power, all this prestige, all this fame, all this wealth, all this whatever. And we talked about last week that, that that's something that can come to anybody. We may not all be wealthy, but this, this lure of attraction uh, to possessions, that he will use that against us. And he tries to use it against Jesus. And he says, Oh hey, listen, th- this is... See, you understand? It's the focus on the material instead of the focus on the spiritual what he tried to do with Jesus and is exactly what he will always try and do with you and me. And listen, we will always have uh, this distraction of attraction. I think that's what I call it. We'll always have this distraction of attraction. We will always have possessions or whatever around us and say, Boy, it'd be nice to, to have that or Boy, I'd, I'd love to be able to do that or... Take a trip here or do that. And I've talked about this before. It's not that possessions or those. Kind, it's not that they in themselves are, are wrong. It's, it's not. It's not. This is the question that I'm asking you. Do my possessions. Do I possess my possessions or do my possessions possess me? That's the question. That's a tongue twister. Try and say that. Come on. Or try and say that three times fast. Right out loud. Right now. Do I possess my possessions or my possessions possess me? Do I possess my possessions or my possessions possess me? I can't. That's hard to say. But it is a very important question that we need to ask ourselves. And to ask ourselves periodically to go back and review that question. All right, right now, I'm grateful for everything I have. By the way, that's that's a key. Just recognizing and just absolute gratitude. God, for this piece of bread, if that's all I've got. Or God, for this this place to lay my head or God for this vehicle, if I happen to have one of those or God to, to, to say, God, thanks. I'm very grateful for everything I have. It's, it's this attitude of gratitude we've talked about before, But it, it's 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 understanding that the, the things that I hold, I need to hold loosely because it's not in the end. It's not really what's going to matter. Not if the Bible is true. And I believe that it is. So it won't matter. Do I possess my possessions, or do my possessions possess me? It is a kingdom priority. Listen to me. A kingdom priority not only puts you in position so that you're you're more able to recognize the enemy's assaults, his attacks, his his whatever he brings against you. Not only able to to recognize those and be in better position but you're also in position to be a part of something that will outlive you outlast you something that is eternal something is everlasting the building of the kingdom of god listen do you understand L- listen to me his eternal victory brought you eternal victory and your daily victory brings him eternal glory i could probably preach if i got going on that for a minute do you understand? That's, that's what this is about. It's a kingdom priority in my life. God, uh, sure, I, I know I've got this and I've got my work. And I, I hate work or I love work or I, I whatever. Uh, by the way, do you know my daughter-in-law a while back uh, told me that I, I was retired? So, she said, since you're retired. And, and were you in there when she said that to me? And I'm like, I'm like, what, what, what? And said, well, and see, I think she realized, well, what I mean is, you just love what you're doing, so it's almost like you're retired, you just love to, to do what you do, and I do, I love what I what I, I get to do, but uh, whether you love, hate it, yeah, I know you've got the stuff you got to do, you got responsibilities, you got all this stuff you've got to take care of, you got all this stuff, but 15, 25, 82, however long, old you are, whatever place you are in life, however much money is in your bank account, whatever the square footage of your home, whatever kind of vehicle you drive, all that kind of stuff. This is the priority. If it's not, I'm just telling you, I'm susceptible to the enemy's attacks because because it's not hard to figure out what God's desire for our priority is. And it's probably not hard to figure out what Satan's desire for our priority is. Because if, because if, our, if my priority is here, and this stuff, and what I have, and what I can get, and where I can go, what I can if my priority is down here, then He's got you right where He wants you. He's got me right where He wants me. If that's where my priority is. You've probably read this verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek His kingdom and His righteousness but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things. And in that context of Matthew chapter 6, if you've read that, you know He's talking about food and clothing and shelter and all this stuff that we, that we buzz, buzz, buzz around doing and got to have and got to do. And, gotta, and, and Jesus is like, Come oh huh, chill. Hey, Clay, this, this is your priority, me and you. And what I want to do through you. And I'll take care of all the rest. All that stuff you're fretting over. All that stuff you're worrying about. All that stuff that you think is just going to fall apart if, if something doesn't happen. He says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. That is imperative to your strategy to defeating the enemy. So, I close with asking you this one question. Is the kingdom of God the greatest priority of my life? And, and forget about everybody else again for just a moment. You're just asking that to yourself. I mean, I don't even care if your lips move. But asking yourself that question right now. Is the kingdom of God the priority of my life? Yes, I, I've got this responsibility and that responsibility. And yes, I, I've got uh, family. If you have family or, or marriage responsibility. I've got, I've got this. And I, but is the kingdom of God the priority of my life? How you answer that question... Will go a long way to determining how ready you are for the attacks of the enemy. It really will. And if you could honestly, if you honestly answer that question, if, if your honest answer would be no, no, the kingdom of God is not my priority. Now, listen, I, I know we can all say at times, boy, I, sometimes I blow it or something. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about on, on just on, a, on an ongoing basis is the kingdom of God the priority of my life? If you ask yourself that question and if you honestly would say, it's not. It's me or, or it's wanting to have this or it's wanting to get that or it's wanting to have a relationship with this person or it's wanting to achieve this thing in my life or if, if your answer would honestly be no, it's, it's not the priority of my life, then listen to me. Remember what I said at the beginning? God's right there and he'll pick us up and he'll dust us off and say, okay, my child, <laughs> now let's go. If you'll just ask, if you just say, God, I I haven't made you my priority. I haven't, but I want to. I, I want to experience this life. I want to have victory. I want to live like a conqueror, God. I don't want to live defeated. Just ask, and you'll find a God ready and willing to accept you, just like you are, forgive you, and say, okay, now, let's move forward. Let's see what we can accomplish in the time that I've given you here.
0: The enemy tries to use us against us. But as Jesus demonstrated, we can employ a strategy to have victory over our enemy when he comes against us. That strategy must include a spiritual reality. Our faith walk has to be real. We also need an accurate theology. Our understanding of the person of God must come from the word of God, so our picture is true. Finally, as Pastor Clay reminded us, our strategy for success over the devil includes a kingdom priority. Seeking first the kingdom of God helps us to keep our focus off the material world around us and our desire for the things of this world. A sound strategy combined with the power of God in our lives guarantees the defeat of our enemy. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God.
1: My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and peace purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety.
0: Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis.
1: What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting?
0: online for another crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the
1: water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place.
0: Church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.